Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It's week four and a half, week five of college football, week four in the NFL, and we've got all the props, odds, promos, and parlays ready for you at BetOnline Sportsbook. Use our promo code Believe. that's B-L-E-A-V, with the link in the description to this episode, and you can get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. My first admission as we go into this, I did not wake up early enough to watch the London game. I I was not going to wake up early to watch Desmond Ritter on my TV. Just full disclosure to the audience here, I did go back, I did watch the highlights, and I got to tell you, what I saw was ugly. What I saw is a quarterback that has no business being on an NFL field, just to be honest with you guys. And I think Falcons fans, after seeing the first four weeks of Desmond Ritter, would agree with me. Kyle, how are you evaluating Desmond Ritter through the first four weeks? And even if you want to go back to last season and add in those performances. The Atlanta Falcons juggernaut offense has uh, six points now in the last two weeks. I remember after uh, week two when everyone was saying, look at this sexy revamped Falcons offense. They had that like Skyview camera angle of Bijan Robinson juking someone. Everyone was like, wow, look at this amazing Falcons offense. And now they've scored six points in two games with Desmond Ritter at the helm. It has been a rough stretch. I know they scored a touchdown against the Jaguars, but it was after the game was essentially over. The Falcons offense has been essentially putrid, and Desmond Ritter seems to be the the odd man out in this situation because Desmond Ritter's a former third-round pick. He's never showed flashes of being a starting NFL quarterback, and all the numbers will will support the fact that Desmond Ritter is essentially there to hand the ball off to Bijan Robinson, and when they ask him to do anything in that offense, he's suffering from what some people might call like the Zach Wilson syndrome, where he's kind of like overthinking things a little bit too much and getting some analysis paralysis out there on the field, and then leading to a couple turnovers when he does make a decision on the first read because these are very good defenders on the field. It has been rough for Desmond Ritter and through 10 games it seems like Desmond Ritter has shown very little signs of being a future starting NFL quarterback Kyle have you ever heard the term butterface please fill me in so what butterface essentially means is someone that you're romantically interested in perfect everything from the neck down but from the face up yeah that's a no that's a big no for me dog that's what I kind of like think of when you were talking about the Falcons as this revamp, the sexy offense, because they have everything you would look for in an offense aside from the quarterback position, because Kyle Pitts, that's that's a great piece at tight end. 
Drake London, I think that that's a piece you could build around at wide receiver. Bijan Robinson, every time he touches the football, you think that you have a chance to score a touchdown. And although they've struggled this year, there's still some experts to say that they are one of the better offensive lines in the league. But when it comes to looking at Desmond Ritter, I saw this stat thrown around through the first four weeks. He's on pace to have more turnover worthy plays than Jameis Winston in the 30-30 season. So he puts the ball in harm's way an awful lot for a quarterback that doesn't necessarily have the skill level to overcome mistakes. And when I look at, you know, we just talked about Brock Purdy, for example, I look at like a Mr. Irrelevant, what was Brock Purdy do the best? He doesn't put the ball in harm's way. He has zero interceptions so far this season. That's something that Desmond Ritter doesn't do. And until that is corrected, that's just going to ultimately hold back what this Falcons offense can be. And if I'm a Falcons fan, if I'm a Falcons player, I'm upset that Arthur Smith is not willing to make a change. And if we're going to do a makeover for this Butterface, I think it starts with Taylor Heineke. Let's go ahead and do a makeover for the Falcons offense and add Taylor Heineke in because I know Taylor Heineke is probably an NFL backup, and that's probably the most that Taylor Heineke is ever going to be considered. But at the same time, I know he's an NFL quarterback. I don't think Desmond Ritter is an NFL quarterback. Yeah, that's the whole purpose of bringing in Taylor Heineke in the first place was for this exact scenario, right? Where Desmond Ritter isn't playing as well as they would like him to. The whole point was that he is a high-end backup quarterback who they can then put into the offense, plug and play in the middle of the season and keep this thing afloat. And and from the very start, I will say, I've never seen the vision for Arthur Smith and the Falcons. I, I've never understood exactly where they were going because Arthur Smith comes from a run-heavy identity on offense. For those who may not remember, he was the offensive coordinator who replaced Matt Lefleur in Tennessee, and was the offensive coordinator during that season where the Titans ended up having a really, really good rushing attack with Derrick Henry. They made the playoffs, all that stuff. And Arthur Smith last year, I'll never forget when Marcus Mariota threw an interception. And remember, Marcus Mariota was the backup quarterback when Arthur Smith was there with the Titans. Marcus Mariota threw an interception and then they ran the ball 16 consecutive times after that. I understand why they made the move for Bijan now, but at the same time, like I've never seen the vision of what the Falcons are building and doubling down on Desmond Ritter going into this season when he was a third round pick who hasn't shown you very much replaced Marcus Mariota. Who's clearly a career backup at this point. Like what's been so strange is they've never even tried to fill in that quarterback position role. It's been a whole lot of, we're going to move on from Matt Ryan, the maybe greatest quarterback in our franchise's history. And now we're going to go Marcus Mariota, Desmond Ritter, and eventually what I presume will be Taylor Heineke. So I've never seen the vision for the Atlanta Falcons. And I feel really vindicated that score six points in two games. But on the flip side, it doesn't bring me any joy because like this is a really talented offense. Bijan Robinson is a really skilled running back. And I just don't know exactly why the Falcons are continually committing to Desmond Ritter when they haven't seen much. But it's Arthur Smith's guy. Arthur Smith's willing to ride with Desmond Ritter and see where it takes him. And I guess... I've never understood the vision, but they they clearly have the talent. Uh, even on defense, they have some talented players now, which is something that I've also been saying for years. The Falcons have just made the plan of if we never, ever address our defense, eventually it'll fix itself. What I will say for the Falcons and Falcons fans is 
and this might be a little bit of a hot take, but I think, honestly, if you put Taylor Heineke in there, you can make a case for me, this Falcons team will make the playoffs this year. This Falcons team on offense has enough pieces and even defensively has enough pieces to even win a playoff game potentially in the first round if they have at least adequate quarterback play. But if they have a quarterback play that we've seen through the first four weeks, they're just getting held back. And I don't know if there's like a bigger move they can make, particularly in season. Now, we know that the Vikings, obviously, they just got their first win. I know there was some Kirk Cousins trade rumors heating up. If I was the Falcons, I would be thinking about trying to make a move for a Kirk Cousins if I could. I mean, hell, again, I have Drake London. I have Kyle Pitts. I have B. John Robinson. If you added Kirk Cousins into this offense right now, I think the Falcons would be a legitimate threat. Heck, I even look at, let's say, you mentioned Arthur Smith is not unused to bringing in his former Tennessee Titans quarterbacks. Ryan Tannehill hasn't looked great this year, but I think Ryan Tannehill obviously would be a huge improvement to the quarterback play they've had so far this season, especially if the Titans, let's say they kind of fall out of it a little bit more and they just kind of want to give some of their young quarterbacks some shine. Maybe they'd be willing to move off Ryan Tannehill in season. I just need something that I can really cling on to. If Ryan Tannehill's only a modest improvement over Taylor Heineke, I still think that's an improvement on their overall team. I think if you're the Falcons, looking at this situation, you're two and two. The NFC South is not out of reach because you look at the Tampa Bay Bucks and the Bucks, I will give them credit. They're a lot better than I thought they would be this season, but we saw what happened when they went against Philadelphia. They're not ready to compete with good teams or great teams this year. You could overtake them. You're only a game behind them in the NFC South. You could overtake them and make that your playoff spot if you make a legitimate move or at least make that internal move to move off from Desmond Ritter. If you treat this as just rebuild the year, that's on you. That's something you want to do as a team. But when I look at the improvements on your defense, because they held the Jaguars only 17 points as a defense. The pick six was why it was a 24 score for the Jaguars and the fact that you have a quarterback who's throwing pick sixes and then on the very next drive throwing another interception it's just not going to help things I, I think Arthur Smith you're doing a disservice to your team and as this goes on more eyeballs are going to turn to you if you just allow it to persist you're either coaching it or allowing it to happen right I think so and according to my expert analysis from watching the all 22 angle of the Toy Story broadcast I think that the Atlanta Falcons are in a very interesting position offensively where, look, they they are getting separation, they're creating plays, their run blocking could be better, but Bijan Robinson's still putting up good numbers. I mean, people were talking about it was a two-man race between him and Christian McCaffrey for the offensive player of the year so far. And then obviously the Falcons have crapped the bed the last two weeks, but at the same time, like they were putting up numbers, they were playing well enough to compete and I'm just curious to see what the direction is going forward, because I will say it is a small sample size, but because Ritter has shown you basically nothing up to this point that would give you hope or optimism, I think you're kind of looking at what's next and what are your alternatives. I don't think they're going to make a big trade like you were suggesting for a Tannehill or a Kirk Cousins. I think that's more of an offseason move. But like we said earlier, this was the whole purpose of bringing in Heineke in the first place. All right, guys. Well, if you do pay attention to the Falcons quarterback situation closely, we would like to hear your thoughts. Have you seen something more from Desmond Ritter than maybe the we're ignoring? I know his second half stats looked a lot better than his first half stats, if that's worth something. But we'd like to hear how you evaluate this Atlanta quarterback situation. Is it time to put in Heineke? Leave a like on the video. Subscribe to the channel. Follow us on all our social medias from Juju and Kyle. Stay safe, happy, and healthy. We'll see you next time.
Kelly Ledbetter, you got a chance to be in the stands as the 49ers took on the Arizona Cardinals. Did you have any idea you were watching history as that game unfolded? I mean, I knew that Christian McCaffrey was on the verge of breaking the 49er franchise record for most consecutive games with a touchdown. But unless there's something else historic that I don't know about, I was not prepared for anything else. (laughs) Well, Brock Purdy did set the single game franchise mark for completion percentage, beating Steve Young's 18 for 20 performance. One incompletion. Did you realize that as game flow went on that? Oh, yeah. Brock Purdy's like only missed one pass. I actually did because during the, I think it was the third touchdown drive for the 49ers was when we went to go get food. And so while we're waiting in line, the TVs have the broadcast and Greg Papa's radio call is playing. And on the TV, I see Brock Purdy 10 for 10, 150 yards. He had no touchdowns at the time. I was just like, okay, so they literally have zero negative plays. Like the, the Cardinals have not stopped the 49ers on any play. The Niners have scored three touchdowns on three drives. The Cardinals just simply have not stopped San Francisco from doing anything. And then I remember when he got sacked and then threw the incompletion in the start of the second half. That's when I was like, oh, I think one of us jinxed it because we were like, Brock Purdy has a perfect completion percentage. So they have no negative plays. And then the next two plays were sacked by Gardeck and then incompletion. And it was the only incompletion of the entire game. Brock Purdy just torched a Cardinals defense that has been completely incapable of doing anything from own 25 yard line to a Opponents 15, just open season on the Cardinals defense. (laughs) One thing that was evident to me watching that game is the Niners said, we're not going to mess around. We're not going to play that Cowboy shit that the Cowboys did in week three, where they let Arizona get the early lead and just run the clock out with James Conner. The Niners said, no, we're going to establish a lead quickly. And from there, we're going to put our foot on the throat of Arizona. And that foot was named Christian McCaffrey, because in this game, as as you mentioned, he had a historic day too. four touchdowns could have been five. They they stole the fifth one from him. Admittedly, you know, Brock Birdie's quarterback sneak. As much as I love seeing Brock get a touchdown in there, it would have been nice to see Christian get that five because I was running the numbers today and Ladanian Tomlinson, 31 touchdowns. Uh, I think it was the 2007 season. That's, of course, a historic mark on pace numbers. Christian McCaffrey could have 30 this season. Right now, he has six rushing touchdowns, one receiving touchdown through the four games. Hopefully we don't look back at that missing touchdown from this game and think, dang, that could have been the record that could have tied it. What do you think of Christian McCaffrey through this point of the season? You know, I think we mentioned this a little bit ago, like how recently before Christian McCaffrey got there, were we saying, well, this 49ers offense is just completely interchangeable with the running back position, right? Like we don't need any star running back. We can just fart out Jeff Wilson juniors and Tevin Coleman twice and Jarek McKinnon's and Matt Breida's and you know now all of a sudden the entire construct of the 49ers offense is built around Christian McCaffrey everything they do is to facilitate Christian McCaffrey in that offense and McCaffrey's on pace for I I know MVPs and running backs is an iffy game but McCaffrey's on pace to win September he ended up with four touchdowns in his first game in October. You mentioned the 31 rushing touchdowns, and if that's a possibility for McCaffrey, I mean, this is what we were hoping for, right? When McCaffrey got traded, we were like, or at least I was saying, 
the Panthers wasted this man's career. Like other than a playoff game, his rookie year against the Saints, where they lost by 20 points, like McCaffrey never played a meaningful football game in his entire time with Carolina. And now that he's in San Francisco, we are getting to see the fruits of his labor. We're getting to see what Christian McCaffrey with talented players around him looks like. And not only has he scored a touchdown in 13 consecutive games, the 49ers, I believe, are now 15 and one in regular season games that Christian McCaffrey has played. Um, yes, depending on whether or not you count the Chiefs game, that was kind of a weird game. If you take that Chiefs game completely out of it, where he was kind of on the field, off the field, came in that Wednesday or whatnot and played that game, then you could say technically they're undefeated in games Christian McCaffrey has played in the regular season. Of course, I also want to take out that Brock Purdy injured on the second snap game. So looking at the MVP betting odds right now, Christian McCaffrey is ninth, ninth overall. The players ahead of him, you have Josh Allen, Tua Tungavailoa, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, his own quarterback, Brock Purdy, and Trevor Lawrence. Based off performances this past week, obviously Josh Allen, he's still playing at MVP pace. Tua took a big step back with what the Dolphins did against the Bills. Obviously, you got to win some of those games against tough division opponents to stand a chance. Patrick Mahomes is kind of just grandfathered into the MVP conversation at this point. Jalen Hurts the same as the MVP runner-up. Lamar's having a really good bounce back year. Justin Herbert uh, has to elevate the Chargers, so you can make a compelling case for him based on having to outplay Brandon Staley. Brock Purdy, that, now that's a tricky one for Christian McCaffrey, right? Because if Brock Purdy, if the Niners do what we project them to do the rest of the season, Christian McCaffrey looks great. Well, Brock Purdy's also going to look pretty great as a result of Christian McCaffrey's greatness. So you kind of like wonder who's going to pull away from each other. And Trevor Lawrence, uh, there's something going on in Jacksonville, so I'm going to dismiss him in front of Christian McCaffrey as well. I think there's maybe like three players on this list I think Christian McCaffrey could jump over, theoretically. If he, again, as you mentioned, continues to win Offensive Player of the Month, month after month, it's going to be hard. And when I think about running backs winning the MVP, obviously the last one we saw get to do it was Adrian Peterson with the 2,000 yards rushing. So you have to do something record setting. You have to do something unfounded. And Christian McCaffrey, we already know that he's only the fourth ever thousand thousand player in NFL history. Uh, so he's already accomplished that. He could run for 2000 yards this season, potentially. That would be a first of his career also, although his receiving numbers tend to eat into his rushing numbers. I still think, I, I think it's the Ladanian Tomlinson touchdown mark. If he's going to do anything to win the MVP award, I think it might be that. And obviously he's on this 13 game run of having a touchdown. If he was to break LaDainian Thomason's LT's record, then I think that Christian McCaffrey is a lock for MVP. Yeah. And the other thing that's factoring into it is that the 49ers are undefeated and the 49ers have been one of the best teams in football, but they aren't the best team in football right now. I mean, it's between them and Buffalo and potentially Kansas City. Obviously, Buffalo beat the brakes off the Dolphins. and But so, did lose I to the Jets. This is also true. And and that's why I think it's going to take like a 16 and 1 or a 17 and 0 season for the 49ers to get that recognition. Christian McCaffrey is the soul of that offense at this point. Like what they do is built around McCaffrey. They've changed what they do on the offensive side of the ball to accommodate for McCaffrey. Uh, we saw that against the Cardinals, which was basically like running practice squad offense for most of the game. And Brock Purdy elevated the team as well. I mean, Debo Samuel was essentially a non-factor. I know he tried to play in the game, but 
he was just so banged up that it wasn't really anything meaningful from zero him. catches, three rushes for six yards. Yeah. And Devo shouldn't have played. Uh, obviously, I work at a, a Sacramento radio station. We cover the 49ers. Our insider was basically like, Debo's not going to play. Debo's not going to play. And then when Debo played, I texted him and he was like, Debo's not going to be a factor in the game. Like he's legitimately injured. And they brought out Brandon Ayuk and Brandon Ayuk was averaging 26 yards of completion against that defense. To underestimate Brock Purdy is to also acknowledge what he has around him, right? Everyone gives the qualifier with Brock Purdy of, well, he's doing it with all of these talented players. And yes, that is true. But I think people are also, I would presume, able to recognize that what they do is they see the value Christian McCaffrey adds at a position that's being crapped on all over the place in the NFL right now. And so if people are going to come in here and discount the Brock Purdy performance because of what Christian McCaffrey was doing against a Cardinals defense that can't do anything from 25 yard line to 15 yard line, it's missing the point. Like Brock Purdy playing is playing excellent football. He's number one in the league in QBR, number one in the entire NFL in QBR. <laughs> and granted, at this time last season, Tua Tagovailoa was number one in the NFL in QBR. Top 10 QBR performers right now also include CJ Stroud. Joshua Dobbs, Baker Mayfield, like obviously it's a small sample size, but the data you're seeing so far suggests that yes, Brock Purdy is playing very well and everything they do revolves around Christian McCaffrey. And by the way, that star turn people were talking about for Brandon Ayuk is actually happening in real time. Can I make the case that the 49ers, why none of them will win MVP is because they kind of have Golden State Warrior syndrome where each of them take away from each other, each of their star power takes away from their case to win an MVP award? Part of the explanation, but not the whole explanation. I do think there's some truth to what you're saying. I think the other thing is that if another team or another player puts up ridiculous stats, that will take precedent over the 16-1 and team or the, dare I say, 17-0 and team that has balance in that way. Like, yes, the singular entity who puts up ridiculous stats is going to take precedent in that situation, which this year, I guess, might be Josh Allen at this point. Like, Josh Allen has now thrown four more touchdowns in three games this year. Obviously, the interceptions are going to work against him, but yesterday he threw 25 total passes and they scored 48 points. That's absolutely ridiculous. He was averaging like 16 yards of completion and i think those impressive statistics are going to make a, a bigger dent than the niners cannibalizing themselves well i would also say with josh allen we have to project for because we've seen josh allen play a lot of football at this point is that he is a streaky player and right now he's on a hot streak and he's tearing up the league but I think we can all estimate that we're going to see another cold streak from Josh Allen because that's just been part of the MO. That's been part of the Josh Allen experience. Last year, he went through like a three-game stretch where it's like, wow, we were talking about this guy for MVP candidate. I know in week one and even parts of week two, we were kind of like, okay, Josh Allen, are you bad at football now? That's something that we've seen happen with Josh Allen. I kind of wonder if he's due for that. Now, I would say, fortunately, unfortunately, I don't know what Brock Purdy looks like after a loss. I don't know how this Niners team with Christian McCaffrey looks like after a loss. So I, I don't know if they're the type of team that if they fall into a little rut, like does that persist onto itself or can they just bounce back quickly? Now, talent wise, they should be able to bounce back quickly. And obviously, I hope there's not a loss coming soon. But law of averages, eventually Brock Purdy's going to lose a game. It's just something that's going to happen. It just... Weird that we've gone this far into his NFL career 
and we just haven't seen it aside from again tearing his elbow ligament in a game that's the only exception to that rule but think about what a privileged position that is to be in the nfl where like teams 8 through 24 are decided by like a field goal every single week is that our team is so good that we don't know how they'll respond to losing a single football game like think how amazing of a position that is to be in i've heard someone make the case that when people say we're still waiting to see about brock purdy they're really just saying we're waiting to see him lose basically so we can just dismiss everything that we saw in the first 13 games and I, I do think that there is some truth to that i think that there's some people that are just waiting for that first loss to say oh yeah Mr. Relvin, of course. Don't you kind of like, get that sense too? I don't know necessarily because I felt like people were critical of him after the win against the Rams where like he didn't play well, but he, he was also playing like an average NFL game. But like besides the point is like if his worst performance is an average passer rating with no touchdowns, no interceptions, the Niners can live with that, right? Like I don't even necessarily think it's the performance basis. I think it's more like, Brock Purdy is still Mr. Irrelevant. People have that idea in their mind. Plus the fact that he's only played 13 games in the NFL and we're starting to build out that sample size on Brock Purdy. But playing 13 games in this most privileged of positions of being the 49ers quarterback is just a small sample size. And when we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, I said the same thing is like check in again in like week 14 and see how feels and by then i know this might sound weird but by then the 49ers will maybe have lost a game (laughs) maybe by week 14 (laughs) they will have a single loss under their belt i I guess we'll just have to cross that bridge when we get there it is cowboys week so that's going to be a lot of fun if anyone's still waiting to test out christian mccaffrey's mvp case brock purdy's mvp case 49ers cowboys you know that that game is going to be a hot ticket i think it before the season it was literally the most expensive ticket in the nfl So hopefully you got a seat to be in Santa Clara this weekend. Well, let us know what you think about the MVP cases for both Brock Purdy and Christian McCaffrey, respectively. We'd like to hear your thoughts. Leave a like on the video, subscribe to the channel, follow us on all our social medias from Juju and Kyle. Stay safe, happy, and healthy, and we will see you next time. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. So Texas is in what uh, I like to affectionately call Notre Dame purgatory. What Notre Dame purgatory is, is that you are a like tier two or tier three program right now as things exist. And every year, if you go 12 and 0 or 11 and 1 or 12 and 1, if you play in a conference championship game, you get a solid shot at making the college football playoff. Think about how we we think of Notre Dame whenever they make the playoff. They go 12 and 0, but they never played anyone who was super tough, or maybe they played one tough opponent that they beat, and then they went 12 and 0, 
made it to the playoffs and got like their ass handed to them by Alabama or made it to the playoff and got their ass handed to them by Ohio State. That's where Texas is right now, a tier two or tier three program that if they just take care of business every week, will get to the college football playoff most or have a shot at making the college football playoff. The good thing about this year in college football is that if we're playing the numbers game, two or three Notre Dame purgatory teams are going to make the college football playoff because in past years, everyone used to say it's always Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson in the playoffs. Then they said it's always Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State in the playoffs. Then they always said it's always Georgia, Alabama, and Michigan in the playoffs. This year, there's only one of those teams. It's Georgia. Everyone else is kind of about the same. Think about it this also. Ohio State just played Notre Dame this weekend. That game came down to the last play of the game, the very last play where Ohio State scored a touchdown. This week, Ohio State is four. Notre Dame is 11. Texas played Alabama. Texas was a better team than Alabama, but you feel like if they played that game 10 times, Texas would win five and Bama would win five or Texas would win six and and Bama would win four. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Well, when when I look at the top teams, like if we do get into the point of like them reaching the college football playoff, I still think that they would like out tough a team like Ohio State. When I look at what Michigan's done against Ohio State the last couple of years, I think Texas would still be able to push them around because I do think that Texas has some big boys this year in the trenches. And I think that that's going to like be a difference maker in an, a potential matchup of that. The softer like Pac-12 schools, I, I think are going to provide some unique challenges. But I think Texas still has those. When you mentioned them and kind of like in that tier, like with like a Michigan, for example, Michigan's been there, done that at least the last couple of years. And Michigan, depending on like J.J. McCarthy, J.J. McCarthy at least has like the experience of being there the last couple of years. That experience is going to come in handy if like it comes down to let's say Texas does hold the three all year and you get into that 2-3 matchup, I think J.J. McCarthy might be a little bit of a difference maker because, again, with Quinn, it, it's just going to be all mental. I, I know this guy is one of the most talented quarterbacks in college football right now, a well-deserving NFL prospect, but when I saw him like shrink in a couple games last year, it makes me wonder how like that big stage would affect him when the bright lights really start coming on. Now, he showed up against Alabama. But it wasn't the first time he played Alabama. This, two years of playing Alabama, Michigan's a different animal. Georgia's certainly a different animal. But I would love if they did play Georgia again to see, does Uga still hold a grudge against Bevo? That's still a good TBD. <laughs> so the, the thing that Texas and also Florida State have going for them is that their toughest games are out of the way at this point. Like the, the games that were like the trap games for those two teams are done at this point. Like Texas beat Alabama. Florida State beat Clemson. Florida State beat LSU. Those uh, Florida State still has to play, I think, Miami at home later in the season and like go to Florida. But like for the most part, Florida State should be favored in every game they play the rest of the season by a touchdown. Texas should be favored in every game they play the rest of the season by a touchdown. Those two teams are in a position where as long as you take care of business, you will have a crack at the playoff. And that's nice because... Penn State is at number seven right now. Well, Penn State has to play at Ohio State and home against Michigan. That's a tough stretch for them. Ohio State and Michigan have to play each other. And like the last four years, the winner of that game has gone to the playoff and the loser goes to whatever the secondary bowl game is. So that game is essentially quarterfinal. Let me ask you about the dying days of the Pac-12. I mean, Caleb Williams, especially with all the Heisman hype, you have to figure that like voters are going to be more inclined depending on how their season shakes out to kind of give them a little bit of a bump. And even the Pac-12 in general, it's it's looking like a great quarterback conference i mean 
Bo Nix going off. Uh, Michael Penix Jr.'s elevated himself, potentially being in the first round. Colorado, we know they got their ass kicked by Oregon this week, but Colorado being good this year. Utah is in the top 10. Still, we almost forget about Utah, but they're still silently one of the better teams in college football. The Pac-12 is interesting, and I think that kind of makes it another dynamic for Texas. Like, let's say they do drop one game. Again, nightmare situations, they drop a game, but let's just say they drop one game, but beat the important games. They beat Kansas. They beat Oklahoma. Does an undefeated Pac-12 team like challenge them? Oh, for sure. An undefeated Pac-12 team who wins the conference championship is is the number two seed, no question. The interesting part is the one-loss Pac-12 champion. Where does that fit into the, the whole game here? In terms of the Pac-12 teams themselves, this year's USC team is not as good as last year's USC team. And last year's USC team was a Pac-12 championship win away from making the college football playoff as the fourth team. This year's USC team is not as good as last year's team. So I don't think USC will stay the course as they have so far. Um, Personally, I think the best chance of the Pac-12 putting a team in the playoff is Washington. Like if Washington doesn't get beat up by the gauntlet of a Pac-12 schedule where they have to play Oregon and you, I think they play at USC too this year, which are, Maybe USC goes to them. It's one of the two. USC plays Washington at some point. They have to play Oregon. They have to play Oregon State. Like if if Washington doesn't get beat up by the gauntlet of the Pac-12, I think they're the best chance in the conference to make the playoff. But I don't think any of the Pac-12 teams I would point to and say on paper, they're the five most talented teams in college football. I think I'm looking at Georgia clear cut number one, no question. Then you have Michigan, Texas, Florida State, Ohio State. Like those those five teams I feel like are the most talented on paper. And the thing that, again, Florida State and Texas have going for them is that the toughest part of their schedule is essentially out of the way. They'll be at least a touchdown favorite in every game they play the rest of the season, except for maybe the conference championship game on a neutral field. But I mean, for the most part, as long as those teams take care of business, as long as one of the teams shits the bet, I think even a one loss conference champion Texas can get into the playoff. And I don't know if that's the case for Florida State, but again, it's just a numbers game. Does the Pac-12 put together a one-loss conference champion? Does the Big 12 put together a one-loss conference championship? Does Florida State go undefeated and win the conference championship? Like, it's just a numbers game at the end of the day, and uh, we'll see who emerges at the end. And even if this year's Alabama team isn't as good as past year's versions of Alabama, I still think the voters are going to look at that Alabama win and give Texas a lot more love than they would have, because it's just so ingrained in us to just think Alabama is amongst the elite of the elite. And that's, again, why I mentioned going back to USC, Caleb Williams, you know, you add in like Heisman Hive. I mean, at the end of the day, the people that are picking these polls are still just humans, humans deciding on who goes out of these four teams, depending on narratives and storylines. I I feel as though voters want Texas to be in there for sure. Talk about ratings on ratings, right? I mean, the, the voters have made it clear in the past that ratings is less important to them. But in recent years, usually there's not much of a debate when it comes to who the four teams are. It's just a matter of where the seating ends up. Like at the end, we will know who the four teams are pretty clear cut. But again, it's it's all just going to be a numbers game at the end. And Texas is in the best positioning of any of those teams. So opening line, they play Georgia today. Where do you think it's at? Georgia is like a a nine and a half point favorite, like nine, nine and a half, probably. The problem with Georgia, and this is just going to get pointed out, we know, we know how good they are, obviously, right? They have all the five stars, the four stars, whatever it is, but their schedule doesn't exactly allow us a lot of opportunity to really test them out. So I, I want to see like Georgia in their first like real game. All right, guys. Well, UT, how you feeling about it? Four and zero through the season's early going. 
Again, best start since 2012. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.